Chapter Twenty Eight of A Mummer's Wife by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight. The hope Dick expressed that his wife would soon be well enough to return home was, of course, untrue. His hope being that she would never cross the doors of the house in Bloomsbury whither he was taking her. The empty bed awaiting him was so great a relief that he fell on his knees before it and prayed that the doctors might judge her to be insane, unsafe to be at large. To wake up in the morning alone in his bed and to be free to go forth to his business without question seemed to him like heaven. But the pleasures of heaven last for eternity, and Dick's delight lasted but for two days. Two days after Kate had gone into the asylum, a letter came from one of the doctors saying that Mrs. Lennox was not insane and would have to be discharged. Dick sank into a chair and lay there almost stunned, plunged into despair that was like a thick fog, and it did not lift until the door opened and Kate stood before him again. He raised his head and looked at her stupidly, and interpreting his vacant face, she said, "'Dick, you're sorry to have me back again?' "'Sorry, Kate?' "'Well, if things were different, I shouldn't be sorry. "'But you see, the blow you struck me with the poker very nearly did for me. "'I haven't been the same man since.' "'Well,' she said, "'I must go back to the asylum or the home, whatever you call it, "'and tell them that I'm mad.' "'Oh, there's no use in doing that, Kate. They wouldn't believe you. "'Here's the letter I've just received. Read it.' "'Oh, but, Dick, there must be some way out of this dreadful trouble, "'and yet there doesn't seem to be any. "'Try to think, dear, try to think. "'Can you think of anything, dear? "'I don't think I shall give way again. "'If I only had something to do, it's because I'm always alone, "'because I love you, because I'm jealous of that woman. Oh, "'But, Kate, if I stop here with you all day, we shall starve.' I must go to business. Oh, business, business. Oh, if I could go to business too. The days when we used to rehearse went merrily enough. Oh, you were the best claret I ever saw, Dick answered. Better than Paula Marie, and I ought to know, for I rehearsed you both. Oh, I shall never play claret again, Kate said sadly. I've lost my figure, and the part requires a waist. You might get your waist again, Dick said, and the words seemed to him extraordinarily silly, but he had to say something. If I could only get to work again, she muttered to herself, and then turning to Dick. Oh, Dick, if I could get to work again, any part would do. It doesn't matter how small just to give me something to think about, that's all, to keep my mind off it. If the baby hadn't died, I should have had her to look after, and that would have done just as well as a part. Oh, but I've disgraced you in company. I don't blame you, you couldn't have me in it, and I couldn't bring myself to sing in that opera. Yes, you would only break out again, Kate. Those jealous fits are terrible. You think you could restrain yourself, but you couldn't. And all that would come of a row between you and Mrs. Forrest would be that I should lose my job. I know, Dick, I know, Kate cried painfully. Oh, but I promise you that I never will again. 
you may go where you please and do what you please i will never say a word to you again i'm sure you believe all that you say kate but i cannot get you a job i may hear of something and meanwhile meanwhile i shall have to stay here and alone and no way of escaping from the hours oh long dreary hours no way but one oh dick i'm sorry they didn't keep me in the asylum it would have been better for both of us if they had then if i could go back there again if you will take me back i'll try to deceive the doctors you mean kate that you would play the mad woman i doubt if any woman could do it sufficiently well to deceive the doctors there was an italian woman and they talked of the great italian actress for some time and then dick said well kate i must be about my business i'm sorry to leave you no dick you're not oh i am dear in a way uh, but if i hear of anything and he left the house knowing that there was no further hope for himself he was tied to her and might be killed by her in his sleep but that wouldn't matter what did matter was the thought that was always at the back of his mind that she was alone in that islington lodging-house craving for drink striving to resist it falling back into drink and might be coming down raving to the theatre to insult him before the company insult him before the company that had been done she'd done her worst and he was indifferent whether she came again only she must not meet mrs forrest on the whole he felt that his sorrow was with kate herself rather than with himself or with mrs forrest god only knows he said as he rushed down the stairs what will become of her kate was asking herself the same question what was to become of her would it be possible for her to find work to do that would keep her mind away from the drink she seemed for the moment free from all craving but she knew what the craving is how overpowering in the throat it is and how when one has got one mouthful one must go on and on so intense is the delight of alcohol in the throat of the drunkard but there was no craving upon her and it might never come again every morning she awoke in great fear but was glad to find that there was no craving in her throat and when she went out she rejoiced that the public houses offered no attraction to her she became brave and fear turned to contempt and at the bottom of her heart she began to jeer at the demon which had conquered and brought her to ruin and which she had in turn conquered but there was a last mockery she did not dare for she knew that the demon was but biding his time he seemed however to go on biding it and dick finding kate reasonable every evening came home to dinner earlier so that the day should not appear to her intolerably long but his business often detained him and one night coming home late he noticed that she looked more sullen than usual that her eyes drooped as if she'd been drinking a month of scenes of violence followed not a single day as far as i can remember for a fortnight he said one day on leaving the house and running to catch his bus to the strand have we had a quiet evening when he returned that night she ran at him with a knife and he had only just time to ward off the blow the house rang with shrieks and cries of all sorts 
and the Lennoxes were driven from one lodging house to another. Trousers, dresses, hats, boots and shoes were all pawned. The comic and the pitiful are but two sides of the same thing, and it was at once comic and pitiful to see Dick, with one of the tails of his coat lost in the scrimmage, talking at one o'clock in the morning to a dispassionate policeman, while from the top windows the high treble voice of a woman disturbed the sullen tranquillity of the London night. And yet Dick continued with her, continued to allow himself to be beaten, scratched, torn to pieces almost as he would be by a wild beast. Human nature can habituate itself even to pain, and it was so with him. He knew that his present life was as a Nessus shirt upon his back, and yet he couldn't make up his mind to have done with it. In the first place he pitied his wife, in the second he did not know how to leave her, and it was not until after another row with Kate for having been down to the theatre that he summoned up courage to walk out of the house with a fixed determination never to return again. Kate was too tipsy at the time to pay much attention to the announcement he made to her as he left the room. Besides, Wolf had been cried so often that it had now lost its terror in her ears, and it was not until next day that she began to experience any very certain fear that Dick and she had at last parted for ever. But when, with a clammy, thirsty mouth, she sat rocking herself wearily, and the long idleness of the morning hours became haunted with irritating remembrances of her shameful conduct, of the cruel life she led the man she loved, the black gulf of eternal separation became, as it were, etched upon her mind, and she heard the cold depths reverberating with vain words and foolish prayers. Then her thin hands trembled on her black dress, and waves of shivering passed over her. She thought involuntarily that a little brandy might give her strength, and as soon hated herself for the thought. It was brandy that had brought her to this. She would never touch it again. But Dick had not left her for ever. He would come back to her. She couldn't live without him. It was terrible. She would go to him, and on her knees beg his pardon for all she had done. He would forgive her. He must forgive her. Such were the fugitive thoughts that flashed through Kate's mind as she hurried to and fro, seeking for her bonnet and shawl. She would go down to the theatre and find him. She'd be sure to hear news of him there, she said, as she strove to brush away the mist that obscured her eyes. She could see nothing. Things seemed to change their places, and so terrible were the palpitations of her heart that she was forced to cling to any piece of furniture within reach. But by walking very slowly, she contrived to reach the stage door of the opera comique, feeling very weak and ill. "'Is Mr. Lennox in?' she asked, at the same time trying to look conciliatingly at the hard-faced hall-keeper. "'No, ma'am, he ain't,' was the reply. "'Who attended the rehearsal today, then?' "'There was no rehearsal today, ma'am. At least ways Mr. Lennox dismissed the rehearsal at half-past twelve. "'And why?' "'Oh, that I cannot tell you.' "'Could you tell me where Mr. Lennox would be likely to be found?' "'Indeed I couldn't, ma'am. I believe he's gone into the country.' "'Gone into the country?' echoed Kate. Uh, "'But may I ask, ma'am, if you be Mrs. Lennox?' 
"'Because if you be, Mr. Lennox left a letter to be given to you in case you called.' Her eyes brightened at the idea of a letter. To know the worst would be better than a horrible uncertainty, and she said eagerly, "'Yes, I'm Mrs. Lennox. Give me the letter.' The hall-keeper handed it to her, and she walked out of the narrow passage into the street, so as to be free from observation. With anxious fingers she tore open the envelope and read, "'My dear Kate, it must be now as clear to you as it is to me that it is quite impossible for us to go on living together. There's no use in our again discussing the whys and the wherefores. We had much better accept the facts of the case in silence.' and mutually save each other the pain of trying to alter what cannot be altered. I have arranged to allow you two pounds a week. This sum will be paid to you every Saturday by applying to Messrs. Jackson & Co., Solicitors, Arundel Street, Strand. Yours very affectionately, Richard Lennox. Kate mechanically repeated the last words as she walked gloomily through the glare of the day. Two pounds a week,' she said, "'and with nothing else. "'Not a friend.' "'And the thought passed through her mind "'that she could not have a friend. "'She had fallen too low, "'yet from no fault of her own nor Dick's. "'And it was that that frightened her. "'A terrible sense of loneliness, "'of desolation, was created in her heart. "'For her the world seemed to have ended.' and she saw the streets and passers-by with the same vague, irresponsible gaze as a solitary figure would the universal ruin caused by an earthquake. She had no friends, no occupation, no interest of any kind in life. Everything had slipped from her, and she shivered with a sense of nakedness, of moral destitution. Nothing was left to her, and yet she felt she lived. She was conscious, oh yes, horribly conscious, and that was the worst, and she asked herself why she could not pass out of sight, out of hearing and feeling, of all the crying misery with which she was surrounded, and in a state of emotive somnambulism she walked through the crowds, till she was startled from her dreams by hearing a voice calling after her, Kate, Kate, Mrs. Lennox! It was Montgomery. I'm so glad to have met you. Oh, so glad indeed, for we haven't seen much of each other. I don't know how it was, but somehow it seemed to me that Dick did not want me to go and see you. I never could make out why, for he couldn't have been jealous of me, he added a little bitterly. But perhaps you've not heard that it's all up as regards my piece at the Opera Comique, he continued not noticing Kate's dejection in his excitement. "'No, I haven't heard,' she answered mechanically. "'Oh, it doesn't matter much, though, for I've just been down to the gaiety, and pretty well settled that it's to be done in Manchester at the Prince's. So, you see, I don't let the grass grow under my feet, for my row with Mrs. Forrest only occurred this morning. Oh, but what's the matter, Kate? What has happened?' "'Oh, nothing, nothing.' "'Tell me about Mrs. Forrest first. I want to know.' "'Well, it's the funniest thing you ever heard in your life. "'Oh, but you won't tell Dick, because he forbade me ever to speak to you about Mrs. Forrest. "'Not that there's anything but business between them, that I swear to you. "'But do tell me, Kate, what's the matter? "'I never saw you look so sad in my life. 
have you had any bad news no no tell me about mrs forrest and your piece i want to hear she exclaimed excitedly well this is it said montgomery who saw in a glance that she was not to be contradicted and that he had better get on with his story in the first place you know that the old creature has gone in for writing librettos herself and has finished one about buddhism an absurdity the opening chorus is fifty lines long but she won't cut one but i'll tell you about that after i was to get one hundred for setting this blessed production to music and it was to follow my own piece which was in rehearsal well like a great fool i was explaining to dubois the bosh i was writing by the yard for this infernal opera of hers i couldn't help it she wouldn't take advice on any point she's written the song of the sun god in hexameters i don't know what hexameters are but i would as soon set bradshaw leaving st pancras nine twenty five arriving at uh, <laughs> with a puff puff accompaniment on the trombone <laughs> go on with the story cried kate oh well i was explaining all this said montgomery suddenly growing serious when out she darted from behind the other wing i never knew she was there she called me a thief and said she wouldn't have me another five minutes in her theatre monti the italian composer was sent for i was shoved out bag and baggage and there'll be no more rehearsals till the new music is ready that's all oh i'm very sorry for you very sorry said kate very quietly and she raised her hand to brush away a tear oh i don't care i'd sooner have the piece done in manchester of course it's a bore losing a hundred pounds but oh kate do tell me what's the matter you know you can confide in me you know i'm your friend at these kind words the cold deadly grief that encircled kate's heart like a band of steel melted and she wept profusely montgomery drew her arm into his and pleaded and begged to be told the reason of these tears but she could make no answer and pressed dick's letter into his hand with a passionate gesture he read it at a glance and then hesitated unable to make up his mind as to what he should do no words seemed to him adequate wherewith to console her and she was sobbing so bitterly that it was beginning to attract attention in the streets they walked on without speaking for a few yards kate leaning upon montgomery until a hackney coachman guessing that something was wrong signed to them with his whip where are you living dear kate told him with some difficulty and having directed the driver he lapsed again into considering what course he should adopt to put off the journey was impossible dick had promised to meet him there it was now three o'clock he had therefore three hours to spend with kate with the woman whom he had loved steadfastly throughout a loveless life he had no word of blame for dick he had heard stories that had made his blood run cold and yet knowing her faults as he did he would have opened his arms had it been possible and crying through the fervour of years of waiting said to her yes i will believe in you believe in me and you shall be happy there had never been a secret between them their souls had been forever as if in communication and the love unacknowledged in words 
had long been as sunlight and moonlight lighting the spaces of their dream life to the woman it had been as a distant star whose pale light was a presage of quietude in hours of vexation to the man it seemed as a far elysium radiant with sweet longing large hopes that waxed but never waned and where the sweet breezes of eternal felicity blew in musical cadence and yet he was deceived in nothing he knew now as he had known before that although this dream might haunt him for ever he should never hold it in his arms nor press it to his lips and in the midst of this surging tide of misery there arose a desire that glad in its own anguish bade him increase the bitterness of these last hours by making a confession of his suffering and exulting savagely in the martyrdom he was preparing for himself he said you know kate i know you must know you must have guessed that i care for you i may as well tell you the truth now you're the only woman i ever loved oh, yes she said i always thought you cared for me oh you have been very kind oh very kind and i often think of it oh, everybody has all my life long been very good to me it's i alone whom to blame who am in fault i have i know i have been very wicked and i don't know why i didn't mean it i, I know i didn't for i'm not at heart a wicked woman i suppose things must have gone against me that's about all montgomery pushed his glasses higher on his nose and after a long silence he said i've often thought that had you met me before you knew dick things might have been different we should have got on better although you might never have loved me so well kate raised her eyes and she said no one will ever know how i have loved oh how i still love that man oftentimes i think that had i loved him less i should have been a better wife i think he loved me but it was not the love i dreamed of like you i was always sentimental and dick never cared for that sort of thing i think i should have understood you better said montgomery and the conversation came to a pause a vision of the life of devotion spent at the feet of an ideal lover that life of sacrifice and tenderness which had been her dream and which she had so utterly failed to attain again rose up to tantalize her like a glittering mirage and she couldn't help wondering whether she would have realized this beautiful this wonderful might have been if she had chosen this other man but i suppose you'll make it up with dick said montgomery somewhat harshly kate awoke from her reverie with a start and answered sorrowfully that she did not know that she was afraid dick would never forgive her again i don't remember if i told you i'm going to see him in manchester he promised to go up there to make some arrangements about my peace no you didn't tell me well i'll speak to him i'll tell him i've seen you i fancy i shall be able to make it all right he added with a feeble smile oh how good you are oh how good you are cried kate clasping her hands if you'll only forgive me once again i'll promise i'll swear to him never to to here kate stopped abashed and burying her face in her hands she wept bitterly 
the tenderness, the melancholy serenity of their interview had somehow suddenly come to an end. Each was too much occupied with his or her thoughts to talk much, and the effort to find phrases grew more and more irritating. Both were very sad, and although they sighed when the clock struck the hour of farewell, they felt that to pass from one pain to another was in itself an assuagement. Kate accompanied Montgomery to the station. He seemed to her to be out of temper, and she to him to be further away than ever. The explanation that had taken place between them had, if not broken, at least altered the old bonds of sympathy without creating new ones, and they were discontented, even like children who remember for the first time that today is not yesterday. They felt lonely watching the parallel lines of platforms, and when Montgomery waved his hand for the last time, and the train rolled into the luminous arch of sky that lay beyond the glass roofing, Kate turned away, overpowered by grief and cruel recollections. When she got home, the solitude of her room became unbearable. She wanted someone to see, someone to console her. She had a few shillings in her pocket, but she remembered her resolutions, and for some time resented the impervious clutch of the temptation. But the sorrow that hung about her, that penetrated like a corrosive acid into the very marrow of her bones, grew momentarily more burning, more unendurable. Twenty times she tried to wrench it out of her heart. The landlady brought her up some tea. She couldn't drink it. It tasted like soap suds in her mouth. And then, knowing well what the results would be, she resolved to go out for a walk. Next day she was ill, and to pull herself together it was necessary to have a drink. It would not do to look too great a sight in the solicitor's office where Dick had told her in his letter to go and get her money. There she found not two, but five pounds awaiting her, and this enabled her to keep up a stage of semi-intoxication until the end of the week. She at last woke up speechless, suffering terrible palpitations of the heart, but she had strength enough to ring her bell, and when the landlady came to her she nearly lost her balance and fell to the ground, so strenuously did Kate lean and cling to her for support. After gasping painfully for some moments, Kate muttered, "'I'm dying! These palpitations and the pain in my side!' The landlady asked if she'd like to see the doctor, and with difficulty obtained her consent that the doctor should be sent for. "'I'll send at once,' she said. "'No, not at once,' Kate cried. "'Pour me out a little brandy and water, and I'll see how I am in the course of the day.' The woman did as was desired, and Kate told her that she felt better, and that if it wasn't for the pains in her side she'd be all right. The landlady looked a little incredulous, but her lodger had only been with her a fortnight, and so carefully had the brandy been hidden, and the inebriety concealed, that although she had her doubts, she was not yet satisfied that Kate was an habitual drunkard. Certainly appearances were against Mrs. Lennox, but as regards the brandy bottle, she had watched it very carefully, and was convinced that scarcely more than six pennyworth of liquor went out of it daily. The good woman did not know how it was replenished from another bottle that came sometimes from under the mattress and sometimes out of the chimney. 
and the disappearance of the husband was satisfactorily accounted for by the announcement that he had gone to Manchester to produce a new piece. Besides, Mrs. Lennox was a very nice person. It was a pleasure to attend to her, and during the course of the afternoon Mrs. White called several times at the second floor to inquire after her lodger's health. But there was no change for the better. Looking the picture of wretchedness, Kate lay back in her chair, declaring in low moans that she never felt so ill in her life, that the pain in her side was killing her. At first Mrs. White seemed inclined to make light of all this complaining, but towards evening she began to grow alarmed, and urged that the doctor should be sent for. "'I assure you, ma'am,' she said, "'it's always better to see a doctor.' The money's never thrown away, for even if there's nothing serious the matter, it eases one's mind to be told so. Kate was generally easy to persuade, but fearing that her secret drinking would be discovered, she declined for a long time to take medical advice. At last she was obliged to give way, and the die having been cast, she commenced to think how she might conceal part of the truth something of the coquetry of the actress returned to her and getting up from her chair she went over to the glass to examine herself and brushing back her hair she said sorrowfully oh, i'm a complete wreck i can't think what's the matter with me and i've lost all my hair oh you've no idea mrs white of the beautiful hair i used to have it used to fall in armfuls over my shoulders now it's no more than a wisp "'I think you've a great deal yet,' replied Mrs. White, not wishing to discourage her. "'Oh, and how yellow I am, too!' To this Mrs. White mumbled something that was inaudible, and Kate thought suddenly of her rouge pot and hare's foot. Her make-up and all her little souvenirs of Dick lay securely packed away in an old bandbox. "'Mrs. White,' she said, "'might I ask you to get me a jug of hot water?' When the woman left the room, everything was spread hurriedly over the toilet table. To see her, one would have thought that the call-boy had knocked at the door for the second time. A thin coating of cold cream was passed over the face and neck, then the powder puff changed what was yellow into white, and then the hare's foot gave a bloom to the cheeks. The pencil was not necessary, her eyebrows being by nature dark and well-defined. Then all disappeared again into the bandbox, a drain was taken out of the bottle while she listened to steps on the stairs, and she had just time to get back to her chair when the doctor entered. She felt quite prepared to receive him. Mrs. White, who had come up at the same time, looked uneasily around, and after hesitating about the confines of the room, she put the water jug on the rosewood cabinet and said, "'I think I'll leave you alone with the doctor, ma'am. If you want me, you'll ring.' Mr. Hooper was a short, stout man, with a large, bald forehead and long black hair. His small eyes were watchful as a ferret's, and his fat, chubby hands were constantly laid on his kneecaps. "'I met Mrs. White's servant in the street,' he said, looking at Kate as if he were trying to read through the rouge on her face. "'So I came at once. "'Mrs. White, with whom I was speaking downstairs, tells me you're suffering from a pain in your side.' "'Yes, Doctor, on the right side, and I've, I've not been feeling very well lately.' "'Is your appetite good? Will you let me feel your pulse?' "'No, I've scarcely any appetite at all, particularly in the morning. I can't touch anything for breakfast.' 
don't you care to drink anything aren't you thirsty kate would have liked to have told a lie but fearing that she might endanger her life by doing so she answered oh yes i'm constantly very thirsty especially at night-time it was irritating to have your life read thus and kate felt angry when she saw this dispassionate man watching the brandy bottle which she had forgotten to put away do you ever find it necessary to take any stimulant grasping at the word necessary she replied oh, yes doctor my life isn't a very happy one and i often feel so low so depressed as it were that if i didn't take a little something to keep me up i think i should do away with myself your husband is an actor i believe yes but he's at present up in manchester producing a new piece i'm on the stage too i've been playing a round of leading parts in the provinces but since i've been in london i've been out of an engagement i just asked you because i noticed you used a little powder you know on the face of course i can't judge at present what your complexion is but have you noticed any yellowness about the skin lately the first instinct of a woman who drinks is to conceal her vice and although she was talking to a doctor kate was again conscious of a feeling of resentment against the merciless eyes which saw through all the secrets of her life but cowed as it were by the certitude expressed by the doctor's looks and words she strove to equivocate and answered humbly that she noticed her skin was not looking as clear as it used to dr hooper then questioned her further he asked if she suffered from a sense of uncomfortable tension fullness and weight especially after meals if she felt any pain in her right shoulder and she confessed that he was right in all his surmises Oh, do tell me doctor what's the matter with me i assure you i'd really much sooner know the worst but the doctor did not seem inclined to be communicative and in reply to her question he merely mumbled something to the effect that the liver was out of order i will send you over some medicine this evening he said and if you don't feel better to-morrow send round for me and don't attempt to get up i think he added as he took up his hat to go i shall be able to put you all right but you must follow my instructions you mustn't frighten yourself and take as little of that stimulant as possible kate answered that it was not her custom to take too much and she tried to look surprised at the warning she nevertheless derived a good deal of comfort from the doctor's visit and during the course of the evening succeeded in persuading herself that her fears of the morning were ill-founded and putting the medicine that was sent her away for the present she helped herself from a bottle that was hidden in the upholstery the fact of having a long letter to write to dick explaining her conduct made it quite necessary that she should take something to keep her up and sitting in her lonely room she drank on steadily until midnight when she could only just drag her clothes from her back and throw herself stupidly into bed there she passed a night full of livid-hued nightmares from which she awoke shivering and suffering from terrible palpitations of the heart the silence of the house filled her with terrors cold and obtuse as the dreams from which she awakened strength to scream for help she had none and thinking she was going to die she sought for relief and consolation in the bottle that lay hidden under the carpet 
when the drink took effect upon her she broke out into a profuse perspiration and she managed to get a little sleep but when her breakfast was brought up about eleven o'clock in the morning so ill did she seem that the servant fearing she was going to drop down dead begged to be allowed to fetch the doctor but rejecting all offers of assistance kate lay moaning in an armchair unable even to taste the cup of tea that the maid pressed upon her she consented to take some of the medicines that were ordered her but whatever good they might have produced was discounted by the constant nip drinking she kept up during the afternoon the next day she was very ill indeed and mrs white greatly alarmed insisted on sending for dr hooper he did not seem astonished at the change in his patient calmly and quietly he watched for some moments in silence the bed had curtains of a red and antiquated material and these contrasted with the paleness of the sheets wherein kate lay tossing feverishly most of the make-up had been rubbed away from her face and through patches of red and white the yellow skin started like blisters she was slightly delirious and when the doctor took her hand to feel her pulse she gazed at him with her big staring eyes and spoke volubly and excitedly oh, i'm so glad you've come for i wanted to speak to you about my husband i think i told you he'd gone to manchester to produce a new piece i don't know if i led you to suppose that he deserted me but if i did i was wrong to do so for he's done nothing of the kind it's true that we aren't very happy together but i dare say that's my fault i never was i know as good a wife to him as i intended to be but then he made me jealous and sometimes i was mad oh yes i think i must have been mad to have spoken to him in the way i did anyhow it doesn't matter now does it doctor but i don't know what i'm saying still you won't mention that i've told you anything it's as likely as not that he'll forgive me just as he did before and we may yet be as happy as we were at blackpool you won't tell him will you doctor no no i won't said dr hooper quietly and firmly but you mustn't talk as much as you do if you want to see your husband you must get well first oh yes i must get well oh but tell me doctor how long will that take not very long if you will keep quiet and do what i tell you i want you to tell me how the pain in your side is very bad far worse than when i saw you last i feel it now in my right shoulder as well but your side is it sore when you touch it will you let me feel without waiting for a reply he passed his hand under the sheet is it there that it pains you yes oh yes you're hurting me then the doctor walked aside with the landlady who had been watching the examination of the patient with anxious eyes she said do you think it's anything very dangerous is it contagious had i better send her to the hospital no i should scarcely think it worth while doing that she will be well in a week that is to say if she's properly looked after she's suffering from acute congestion of the liver brought on by by drink said mrs white i suspected as much oh you've too much to do mrs white with all your children to give up your time to nursing her i shall send someone round as soon as possible but in the meantime will you see that her diet is regulated to half a cup of beef tea every hour or so 
if she complains of thirst let her have some milk to drink and you may mix a little brandy with it to-night i shall send round a sleeping draught you're sure doctor there's nothing catching for you know that with all my children in the house you need not be alarmed mrs white uh, but do you think doctor it'll be an expensive illness for i know very little about her circumstances i expect she'll be all right in a week or ten days but what i fear for is her future i've had a good deal of experience in such matters and i've never known a case of a woman who cured herself of the vice of intemperance a man sometimes a woman never the landlady sighed and referred to all she had gone through during poor mr white's lifetime the doctor spoke confidingly of a lady who was at present under his charge and apparently overcome with pity for suffering humanity they descended the staircase together on the doorstep the conversation was continued very well then doctor i will take your advice but at the end of a week or so when she's quite recovered i shall tell her that i've let her rooms for as you say a woman rarely cures herself and before the children the example would be dreadful i expect to see her on her feet in about that time then you can do as you please i shall call to-morrow next day the professional nurse took her place by the bedside the sinapism which the doctor ordered was applied to the hepatic region and a small dose of calomel was administered under this treatment she improved rapidly but unfortunately as her health returned her taste for drink increased in a like proportion indeed it was almost impossible to keep her from it and on one occasion she tried very cunningly to outwit the nurse who had fallen asleep in her chair waiting patiently until the woman's snoring had become sufficiently regular to warrant the possibility of a successful attempt being made on the brandy bottle kate slipped noiselessly out of bed the unseen night-light cast a rosy glow over the convex side of the basin without however disturbing the bare darkness of the wall kate knew that all the bottles stood in a line upon the chest of drawers but it was difficult to distinguish one from the other and the jingling she made as she fumbled amid them awoke the nurse who divining at once what was happening arose quickly from her chair and advancing rapidly towards her said no ma'am i really can't allow it it's against the doctor's orders i'm not going to die of thirst to please any doctor i was only going to take a little milk i suppose there's no harm in that not the least ma'am and if you'd called me you should have had it it was owing to this fortuitous intervention that when dr hooper called a couple of days after to see his patient he was able to certify to a remarkable change for the better in her all the distressing symptoms had disappeared the pain in her side had died away the complexion was clearer he therefore thought himself justified in ordering for her lunch a little fish and some weak brandy and water and to kate who had not eaten any solid food for several days this first meal took the importance of a very exceptional event sitting by her bedside dr hooper spoke to her now mrs lennox he said i want to give you a word of warning i've seen you through what i must specify as a serious illness dangerous i will not call it although i might do so if i were to look into the future and anticipate the development the disease will most certainly take unless indeed you will be guided by me and make a vow against all intoxicating liquors 
at this direct allusion to her vice kate stopped eating and putting down the fork looked at the doctor now mrs lennox you mustn't be angry he continued in his kind way i'm speaking to you in my capacity as a medical man and i must warn you against the continuous nip drinking which of course i can see you're in the habit of indulging in and which was the cause of the illness from which you're recovering i will not harrow your feelings by referring to all the cases that have come under my notice where shame disgrace ruin and death were the result of that one melancholy failing drink oh sir cried kate broken-hearted if you only knew how unhappy i've been how miserable i am you wouldn't speak to me so i've my failing it is true but i'm driven to it i love my husband better than anything in the world and i see him mixed up always with a lot of girls at the theatre and it sends me mad and then i go to drink so as to forget we've all got our troubles but it doesn't relieve us of the burden it only makes us forget it for a short time and then when consciousness returns to us we only remember it all the more bitterly no mrs lennox take my advice in a few days when you're well go to your husband demand his forgiveness and resolve then never to touch spirits again it's very good of you to speak to me in this way said kate tearfully and i will take your advice the very first day that i'm strong enough to walk down to the strand i will go and see my husband and if he will give me another trial he will not i swear to you of course to repent it oh she continued you don't know how good he's been to me how he has borne with me if it hadn't been that he tried my temper by flirting with other women we might have been happy now then as kate proceeded to speak of her trials and temptations she grew more and more excited and hysterical until the doctor fearing that she would bring on a relapse was forced to plead an engagement and wish her good-bye as he left the room she cried after him the first day i'm well enough to go out i'll go and see my husband End of chapter 28